0: Our first scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, listen for God's word. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Today's a special day in the life of our church, and, uh, and we get to commission Connie uh, to, a, to a particular call in the life of our ministry together. And so it seems only appropriate that, uh, that we would ask Connie, what's this all about? Um, and help and let her tell us a little, about, about, a little bit about herself and uh, this call, this sense of call she has. I'm going to, I don't ever want to assume things, but I'm, does everybody know who Connie Knapp is?
1: <laughs>
0: um, if you don't know Connie, she has br- uh, is, is, a, is a gift to this church, uh, if nothing else, with the laugh that she brings... Uh, for her commitment to our education, uh, to her own growth as a person, to the ways in which she has helped us um, in so many ways to be the church God wants us to be. And so, um, I'm not going to start with the questions we've prepared. Um, <laughs> I think it's worth saying you've been here since, like, early 2000s. Yeah,
1: Charles probably would remember. Um. Yeah. Oh, you need a microphone. Yes, <laughs> yes. Probably since 2004 or 5.
0: 2004. Is this, is this on? Yeah. 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 Is it on now? Is it on now? Oh, it's on yeah. now. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. I've probably been here since around 2004, 2005, something like that.
0: And, and in that time, you've done a variety of things. You've served on session. Served on
1: session. I've served on a Faithful Life planning team. I've chaired mission. I've been on communications. Uh, Stewardship. 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 Yeah, well, so I think that's probably everything.
0: Been on mission trips. Oh yeah, I've been on mission trips. You've, uh yeah. lots of things. Right,
1: right. Been to Nicaragua once and to the DR once.
0: And in the midst of that, um, here we are today, to commission you as a commissioned ruling elder to educational ministries in our church. So, what is a commissioned ruling elder? So, does
1: everybody know what a ruling elder is? Let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the Presbyterian Church, we have two. Things, two services to which you can be called. You can be called to be a ruling elder or you can be called to be a deacon. Um, And the ruling elders in our church make up the session or the council and we are the folks who discern what God is calling our church to do and where we are called to go. A commissioned ruling elder is someone who has been ordained as a ruling elder and is commissioned to a specific ministry for a specific period of time. I'm going to just c- call out that Marjorie Rossi is with us this morning. Marjorie is a member of our church and is a commission-ruling elder as pastor to South Church in Dubbs Ferry. That's an example of a way that one can be a commissioned ruling elder.
0: And so what do you have to
1: do to get oh, ready not to be much. a commission-ruling elder? <laughs> so so in every presbytery sets up... The way that they want commissioned ruling elders to be trained. So, a commissioned ruling elder is someone who has had a certain level of education above and beyond what you might have, um, what you might have learned in Sunday school, for example. And so, through the University um, Dubuque Seminary online, I took eight courses, and I was hoping I would remember all eight. But I know I've taken Old Testament, New Testament, Presbyterian polity, preaching, Reformed sacraments of uh, sacraments and worship, Reformed theology pastoral care and, oh, thank you, in Christian education. <laughs> and so when I completed those, I received a, a certificate in Christian leadership I was also lucky enough to be able to participate in a program that was run by Princeton Theological Seminary in which I took some courses online, Old Testament, New Testament, Presbyterian Polity, and something else I can't remember, and that gave me um, a certificate in theology and ministry. In addition to that, um, our presbytery holds CRE seminars where everyone in formation um, meets I'm just going to call out Marjorie again because Marjorie's one of the co-deans of those, and we meet f- between four and six times a year where we learn the practical aspects of ministry. My favorite, which Marjorie knows, is how to hold the baby when you baptize, Oh yeah, <laughs> which is kind of important. That is um, important. <laughs> but we also, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, during my time as a uh, information, a number of folks have passed away, and we learned how to do funerals. Um, but we also learn from the experience of people who are already commissioned um, what it is like to be a pastor. Um, the commission ruling elders used to be called commissioned lay pastors. So that, I don't know, I could go on for a long time. Yeah, but so it seems like
0: with all of that training that you've had, it, that this is it's all kind of preparing you to be commissioned today to our church. And I know that one of the things that you have to do in order to be commissioned today is you have to be able to quote a passage in Greek. Is that right? <laughs>
1: And this is exactly why I am not a minister okay, of word and right, sacrament, okay, because right. to be a minister yeah. of word and sacrament, you'd be able to, you have to be able to read Greek and Hebrew, and I cannot.
0: Okay, well, then <laughs> we'll let that slide this time. All right. So what is it about this uh, being a CRE and being a CRE in this church that you feel called to?
1: Well, some of you know that I've spent most of my working life as an educator, and I believe very strongly God put me on earth. Oh, no, I'm going to cry. <laughs> God put me on earth to preach and teach. I feel blessed to have that gift of teaching. Um, everyone who's ever sat in any room with me knows that I get way more out of it than the people who are sitting in the room. I just love doing it. I feel that that's what God put me on earth to do. I've loved learning, and then, and I get so excited when I've learned something new that I have to tell everybody what I've learned. Um, and this congregation has been very special to me for all the years I've been here, both in terms of the support, um, in the tough times and in the good times, and um, I feel the love.
0: Well, um, these were none
1: of the questions that we prepared. I know. That's,
0: <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to stick with script. Anyway, um, what we are about to do is um, commissions you to a particular service in the life of our church. But before we do it, please know that you've been a gift to this church already, and so what we're doing in some ways is confirming who you are and who you've been and what you offer to us already. That is the real gift in the midst of this. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray this day that um, as we commission Connie to this this particular service in the life of our church, uh, that you would help each of us to hear in her story uh, how you are speaking to us about our own story so that we may know how you are calling us as we commission Connie to this new call. Uh, help us, we pray, to hear your word in her life, uh, in the words that are read, and in the words that are preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank, you. Thank you.
2: That's the warm up applause for what comes after the sermon. <laughs> Our second lesson is from the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. For the Word of God in Scripture, for the Word of God among us, for the Word of God within us. Thank you, God. What a joy to be here today. What a gift today is. Well, why do I say that if it's not already obvious? Well, for starters, we're all alive and breathing. We're here together in worship, and we do have a lot to celebrate. Today is a gift because as Chip said, we are commissioning Connie as a CRE in our congregation. This commission is a recognition of the many gifts that she has already been sharing with our congregation. And it's a commission to continue to share them with us in a more focused way. But today is not just about Connie's gifts and the gift that she is to our church. Today is a day to celebrate all of our gifts Because each and every one of us has been given gifts by God to use for God's purposes within our congregation and also within our homes, our schools and workplaces, our community and world. Today is about recognizing the gifts God has given to all of us and recommitting them to God's work of love and compassion, justice and peace in the world around us. Now, when we hear the word gift, I would guess that most of us think of a nicely wrapped package, maybe a gift bag with a fancy bow on it, that contains a specific object, like a book, or a toy, or a piece of clothing, or jewelry, or maybe the latest tech gizmo. The Most meaningful gifts, however, are far more than just an object or a thing. They are the gifts of self the gifts in which the giver has invested themselves, gifts that embody something of the giver. I think of the tall, white dollhouse with the green trim that my dad built for me when I was five or six, or of the richly colored, textured vest that my mom knit for me that had a tag sewn into it that said, made especially for you by Sally Seidel. These kinds of gifts don't even have to be things. They could be a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, a good laugh, time spent with family or friends, words of encouragement or wisdom when you most need them. Whenever we take what we have at our disposal, be it our time or our talents or our treasure, whenever we share them in ways that communicate love or support or work for justice and peace, or in any other way build up the lives of those around us or make a difference in this world, we are sharing the gifts that God has calls us to share. They become truly living gifts. Our scripture lesson from Mark today revolves around just such a gift. As I reflected on the story this past week, I remembered that this was the text for my very first sermon in my very first call as a pastor. I can still see the sermon title up there on the sign outside the First Presbyterian Church of Plymouth, Michigan, making the dutiful beautiful with my name underneath it. It was both exciting and terrifying because as some of you know, I hadn't actually planned on being a pastor in a church. I went to seminary to become a pastoral counselor and I certainly hadn't envisioned myself standing in a pulpit somewhere preaching. But as I always say, God has a sense of humor and a way of uncovering gifts and calling us in new directions that may or may not fit into our ideas or our plans. Or as Connie so often says, we plan, God laughs. (laughs) So it seems very appropriate to be preaching on this passage again today, as Connie continues to manifest God's call on her life in ways that she probably never envisioned she would be doing years ago. Our gospel story falls right in the middle of the Holy Week drama. A day or two after his grand Palm Sunday entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus was spending the evening at the house of Simon the leper in Bethany. Bethany was a small village located on the slopes of the Mount of Olives about two miles outside Jerusalem. Simon was most likely one of the many devoted followers of Jesus who had been healed by Jesus' miraculous touch, and he was probably eager to entertain the person who had literally saved his life. Jesus was probably looking forward to a relaxing evening, reclining at table as was the custom after a long day of preaching and teaching and prophesying and dealing with the rising conflict around his presence in Jerusalem. It is in the midst of this cozy scene, a private dinner party, that the most surprising thing happened. A woman came into the room and walked up to Jesus, carrying a beautiful, ornate alabaster jar. She broke it open and she poured the ointment the most fragrant of oils imported from the Far East, right over Jesus' head. Just stop a moment and imagine what that was like. The oil running down over Jesus' forehead and cheeks through his dark hair, dripping onto his clothes. The exotic aroma wafting through the air, filling your senses, The guests around the table sitting stunned, caught between the luxury of breathing in such rich perfume and their growing indignation toward the woman and the absurdity of what she had just done. Who was this mystery woman? She is completely anonymous. No name or identification other than her strange deed. Was she one of the household servants or an entertainer brought in to honor the guests? Was she a follower of Jesus who had witnessed his teaching and healing? And where did she get such a valuable jar of costly ointment? Was she a woman of means, or had she sold everything she had to get it? What motivated her to do what she did? To ignore the social barriers in her way, to interrupt a private dinner, to walk right up to a man and anoint him? We'll never know the answers to these questions, what we do know is what she did and how the other guests and Jesus responded to her. In fact, while Jesus was still savoring her magnificently fragrant gesture, the other guests began to scold her. Taking what they thought was the moral high ground, they angrily condemned her actions as a waste of valuable resources. But Jesus silenced them. Leave her alone, he said. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you want. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Some interpreters have taken these words of Jesus as a justification for poverty. If Jesus says we will always have the poor with us, then that must mean that some people are supposed to be poor, right? Why should we get tangled up in the messy, complicated problems of the poor when they only seem to grow bigger every day? Some might even argue that this shows that Jesus prefers personal piety over social justice. But not so fast. Jesus knew his Hebrew Bible inside and out, And that is not at all what he meant. When Jesus said that we will always have the poor with us, he was quoting directly from the Torah in the book of Deuteronomy, which commands everyone to provide for the poor and the needy. This commandment applies to all people all the time. If you have enough or more than enough, you're supposed to share your gifts with those who do not. Because ultimately, God wants everyone to have enough to have what they need not just to survive but to thrive in this life. There is not supposed to be any poverty in God's world. As one commentator writes, what Jesus suggests here is that helping the poor is a constant requirement of the moral life, but it does not substitute for personal acts of love for individuals in particular need. Both public acts of almsgiving and private acts of sympathy and compassion are part of the religious life. And one should not be harassed for doing either. Jesus was challenging the other guests at the table and us to look beyond our wooden interpretations of the law to the larger significance of what this woman had done for him. She had anointed him. In the same way that Saul and David and the other kings of Israel were anointed, by pouring ointment on his head. As many of you know, the Greek word Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah both mean the anointed one. In this case, however, the gospel writer Mark used a different Greek word for anointing. He used the word merizo, which means to put myrrh on one's body. The woman wasn't focused so much on Jesus as king as she was on Jesus as a human being and caring for his body because she was willing to face what so many others were not somehow she realized that in the midst of the growing tensions and turmoil around him that Jesus was going to die and rather than deny it like so many of those with Jesus She was willing to admit it and care for him in the midst of it. Maybe she looked at her resources and thought, God has blessed me. I can bless and care for Christ. I can give him this gift. What she knew and what the disciples just couldn't understand was that being the Messiah, the Christ, would eventually lead him to death on the cross. And so Jesus understood that this woman had anointed his body for burial in the face of his impending death. A good service is what Jesus calls the woman's actions. It can also be translated a beautiful thing. She has done a beautiful thing for me. What makes what she did beautiful? She has done what she could, Jesus said. Not what she should have done, not what the other guests might have done, not what someone else thinks she should have done. She did what was in her power to do. Her actions are beautiful because they are uniquely hers. She recognized who Jesus was. She happened to have an alabaster jar of costly ointment. She ignored a woman's proper place in the household and society. She was moved to minister to Jesus in the best way she could imagine. She sensed the moment and she seized the day. Her gift was extravagant, not only because it was worth a lot of money, but because she put her whole self into it. Her act was a spontaneous yet timely expression of her love for Jesus. She gave what she had to the one who was about to give his life for her. Her gift calls us to love Jesus in this way too and not to judge others for the way they express their love for him. This is the good news, that she embodies and that Jesus wants us to share in remembrance of her, wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Friends, whether we realize it or not, whether we believe it or not, God has given us all gifts to share As Paul reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, and he gave gifts to his people. The gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and if writing materials hadn't been so scarce back then, he would have gone on. Paul could have kept going, and some would be youth group leaders and ushers, gardeners and graphic designers, musicians and knitters, builders and bankers, Caregivers and carpenters, poets and plumbers, healers and prayers, food packers and dishwashers, and the list goes on and on. Everyone has been given gifts for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, for speaking the truth in love, for growing in faith together, and showing the world what abundant life really means. Everybody has gifts. And when we share these gifts, we become living gifts ourselves. In a few moments, we will commission Connie to a ministry of lifelong faith formation in our congregation. As Chip has already pointed out, Connie has so many gifts to share. Her amazing teaching skills, her love of learning, her knowledge and wisdom, her compassion and enthusiasm, her willing spirit. I could go on. But as I think many of you who have met Connie or have participated in a Bible study or gone on a mission trip or walked a labyrinth her would say, the biggest gift that Connie brings to us is the gift of herself. She puts herself into everything she does and that makes all the difference. I could say the same thing about a lot of other people in this church. I won't name names but I can think of some other musicians and gardeners and pantry workers, the operations squad, and Sunday school teachers and knitters, just to name a few, who don't just give a little, but who invest themselves in what they do and how they serve God and this world God loves. I am grateful, and I wonder how their example can be an inspiration to all of us, and any of us who may be sitting on the sidelines who may be hesitant to speak up or step up, who may be fearful that we don't really have enough to make a difference. God calls us to put ourselves out there, to invest ourselves in God's work in the world, and then trust that God will provide and take care of the rest, multiplying our gifts into exactly what this church, this community, this world needs right now. So what are your gifts? What do you have? What can you do that would bring beauty or compassion or understanding or nourishment or peace to someone or some place in need of exactly what you have to offer? How can we all be living gifts? with our time and our talents and our treasure, with our lives, so that all the world may know and receive God's gifts of love and abundant life. Amen.